0: KHP Patreon Exclusive 008 Heiner Sunday, October 11th, 2015 started out like any other day. I woke up, kissed my wife, and went to make myself some cereal. Dawn had just begun to break over the sky as I poured milk over top the sugary flakes in my bowl. After a half hour, I showered, I made sure that my wife was awake. We were both excited to be going to the Heiner viewpoint today, a spot located about 5 miles from Renovo, Pennsylvania, and roughly 30 minutes from Lock Haven. Heiner is popular among paragliders and other flight enthusiasts, as the viewpoint sits almost 1,300 feet above the river below. It offers a great view of the area, and an easy launch point to take a quick flight around the valley. Sightseers and tourists come to look at the great view and experience the area around Heiner year-round. The two of us set out on our journey, nearly a -a two-and-a-half-hour trip from our home in Altoona, with the route we would be taking. We took a detour at Port Matilda and cut through the small town of Phillipsburg to head towards Carthus, taking the Quihanna Highway, towards Keating, it added about an hour to the trip, but we were hoping to see a few elk along the way like we do every year. Renovo was also holding the yearly Flaming Foliage Festival as well, something that we never missed. Even though Renovo was out of the way from any other town around it, they had a beautiful view of the mountains around the area and all of the changing colored leaves were breathtaking. The town would have vendors and craft sales going on, as well as food and drinks. This was one of the most popular events in Renovo, besides hunting season. Our journey came to a slight halt on the Port Matilda mountain, as we became stuck behind some trucks going up the hill slowly. We had left early enough, though, to account for issues like this. The route we were taking today we had taken for nearly ten years. The first few years had mistakes like leaving too late, getting stuck behind trucks and making us later, badly timed bathroom break detours, and other stupid mishaps. We finally perfected the trip, learning from our years of mistakes, and, and began leaving before 8am each year to get to the festivities and the viewpoint. Before noon, we would stop for a snack break and topping our gas off in Phillipsburg, as the gas stations there would be some of the last ones we would see until we reached the town. We turned onto the Quehanna Highway and began our journey through the wilderness of Pennsylvania. The foliage was spectacular as we went. The breeze blew some leaves off of the trees, and it kind of reminded me of a strange form of snow. We passed the boot camp and saw inmates walking around the grounds, escorted, or more guarded, by officials. We made our way to Wyckoff Run, a windy road that dipped off the mountains of Quihanna and into the valleys the Susquehanna River forged many millions of years ago. As we rode down the twisting road, I saw small camps, wooden cabins, and other tiny, humble dwellings that were used mainly during hunting season or choice weekends in the summer. I took one turn a bit wide and startled my wife, who scolded me for gawking at everything but the road in front of us. I must not have been alone in this mistake, as after only two or three more curves in the road, a big, dual-wheeled white truck sped around the corner we were approaching, the yellow line nearly under the middle of the truck. I slammed on the brakes as he flung himself to the proper side and gave me the finger as he passed. I huffed and began nagging my wife about the nerve of people who drive like idiots and endanger those also on the road. She didn't listen to my hypocritical ramblings and just gave an annoyed sigh once I was done. At some point, the trees cleared as we reached the bottom of the mountain. We saw a few elk in the clearings and pulled over to watch them. A group of only four or five, not the herds of twenty or thirty that I keep hearing about from people online. We sat and stared for about fifteen minutes, as the huge beasts ate their fill of grasses and moseyed on back to the woods, almost vanishing instantly from sight once they crossed into the forest. We eventually found our way to Keating and passed right through seeing no reason to stop knowing that Renovo was only 20 minutes away. The mountains rised high above us on either side as we drove down the road that followed near the river. I always felt small once we got past Keating. The way the steep mountains rise around you makes you almost feel trapped. Knowing there's a road to the top of one of these high mountains was almost a relief. We arrived on the edge of Renovo around 10 a.m. Traffic was already heavy on the normally empty road that went through the middle of town. We drove through to park at a spot that we went to each year, between 7th and 8th Street. It was a few blocks from where the festival vendors were, around 12th and 13th Street. People didn't crowd this part of town, and it made it easy to park and move around. We emerged from our car and stretched our legs, glad to be free of the confining space of the car. I looked at the tall hills behind the town, the large empty rail yard that a hundred years ago was once the lifeblood that now sat vacant and empty. The train tracks also went beside the town. They usually had a train pass every other day or so. My wife and I walked the town streets, hearing the music with the hustle and bustle of crowds walking around the area, the smell of fried foods already filling the air as vendors prepared fries, funnel cakes, and other deep-fried delectables. We perused the craft vendors of both local and people from around the state. I purchased a couple different hot sauces, salad dressings, and a pair of gloves made from recycled wool sweaters. I figured they would be a welcome thing to give a friend of mine who worked outdoors in the winter. Just one more early Christmas present off the list. After we had our fill of the craft vendors, my wife and I both looked at each other and knew the look. It was time for food. We pigged out. We bought fries, funnel cakes, barbecued ribs, walking tacos, and anything else that we felt like having. That Today was our day to get whatever we wanted and to eat it all. Better than fairs, better than fast food. It was carnival food at a craft market in the fall surrounded by mountains and mountains of beautiful leaves. We would go to Heiner next before walking around town. About 15 minutes away, Heiner was the most popular thing around throughout the year in this area. It was sure to be packed, full of people trying to see the sight, and launch themselves off the mountain if they brought gliders. We waddled our way back to the car, bellies full and our want for crafts and fried food satiated. We drove from our hidden hiding spot and avoided the crowded area of town by taking the back road of Erie Avenue, a road that went the length of town along the railroad tracks and empty railcar buildings. We came out by the park and turned to go towards Heiner, passing through the microscopic towns of Farwell and North Bend that usually just got lumped into Renovo as their location description. We saw two people pulled over by the local and the state police along the way. We knew from years of experience that the Flaming Foliage Festival Paired with Heiner Point meant that there would be a hotbed of police to nab some of their quotas, that they claim they don't exist, but we all know that they do. We slowed when passing the cops and made fun of the sucker that was caught for being dumb between ourselves. We had been coming to the festival long enough to know the rules, almost acting like residents ourselves. We turned onto the road that led to the viewing area, and followed the couple of cars ahead of us towards the base of the mountain. The person right in front of us must have never been here before, as they were very hesitant to turn onto the road, even though there were multiple signs pointing right where they needed to go. Eventually, they made up their mind, and we followed them, turning a hard right, almost doubling back from where we had come from, as the road began to incline, and we began our ascent. It took almost fifteen minutes to get about halfway up the hill, The person two cars ahead of us was taking their good old time as a line formed behind them. I counted at least seven cars that I could see between the turns behind me. We slowly snaked our way up the mountain, turning sharply as we transitioned from one hillside to another as we came closer to the summit. Heiner view itself was created during the Great Depression. It became a six-acre state park in the 1960s, and the first Flaming Foliage Festival was held in 1949. You try and say that ten times fast. The festival outgrew the park's size quickly and moved to Renovo. A monument for fire wardens sits within the center of the park as a monument to the park rangers and others that do their part to maintain the forests and wildlife of Pennsylvania. There are bathrooms, a picnic area, and the large walled-in landing that you can view the valley below. A line of cars had formed as people were waiting for others to leave so that they could get a spot. Parking along the road was prohibited, as the road was barely wide enough for two vehicles to pass. We waited nearly an hour, moving one car length at a time, slowly up the mountain, before we had the chance to see the gliders. Once we turned a corner in the mountain, we had a slight overview of the valley. We saw a bright red glider fly from the mountainside, floating effortlessly atop the winds of the valley. The operator turned and seemed to dance with their glider in the wind as they slowly descended out of our sight and went towards one of the landing fields below. Our turn finally came. We parked a car and got out, excitedly heading towards the lookout. People in SUVs and trucks were unloading glider equipment before the driver of the vehicle would head down to the bottom of the mountain to pick the person back up again. We walked to the side of the mountain and peered over from the viewing area. The valley was just as stunning as it always had been. A constant breeze blew in our faces, and provided perfect lift for the gliders taking off on the ramp just to our left. We looked down on the river, seeing cars driving by on the road that made them look kind of like Hot Wheels cars from the distance we were at. The gliders in the sky drifted back and forth over the river, listing gently and bobbing in the air currents that swept the skies. Someone was setting up a glider to take off as we looked over the ground below. It felt like every year I looked over this mountain, I felt as if I could see further each time. The man that operated the hand glider that was about to take off was in his late 20s to early 30s. The wings of the glider itself were yellow and black, reminding me sort of like a bumblebee look. We watched as him and a few others on the ramp that helped people with their gliders go over safety checks, and they helped him get situated and waited for the next big breeze. We could see the wind rip across the mountainside, almost like the wave of an ocean coming towards the shore. The man ran down the ramp and leaped, catching the wind perfectly and soaring up and away from the landing. People that hadn't yet seen a glider take off gasped, thinking that he would fall Others clapped and cheered, as they always did on a successful launch. I had noticed, as he did these actions, the running and the jumping, that the shadows on his glider didn't seem to catch the light right. Like, the thin fabric that would hold the glider up was nearly blocking the sunlight that should have been streaming straight through it. I thought nothing of it. Maybe it was a trick of the light. My wife and I turned having been on the landing for about 20 minutes, and we were headed back to our car to head down the mountain and give someone else a chance to watch. As we were doing this, we heard murmurs and whispers creep in around us. People were pointing. We turned around to see the yellow and black glider that just had taken off not even a minute before was tilted oddly to the left. You could see the silhouette of the man operating the glider, reaching down and pulling at something, shaking the glider with each tug. I could faintly see the shadows seeming to reach out from the glider, grabbing and tugging at him. The man suddenly dipped down a good hundred feet. People gasped, and others yelled. Something was definitely wrong. A malfunction with cables or the glider wings itself, I heard a few of the people on the ramp say. The yellow and black glider turned slowly before diving another time, this time headed back towards the mountain. The man was kicking his legs and almost seemed to be trying to pull himself sideways from the bar that he would hold onto. Everyone on the lookout was still confused, and one of the men on the ramp said, Call 911. It's better to have them there if something happens. Have them get by the bridge. If he goes down, that's the fastest. The man wasn't even done with his statement when the glider dipped, doing a corkscrew and flying sideways towards the river. We watched as the glider twisted and turned, dipping closer and closer to the treetops below. In only a matter of a few seconds, the glider had twisted a half dozen times and was flying towards the bridge that crossed the river. The operator then leveled and seemed to have gained control. No one was mentioning these strange shadows that I was seeing. As everyone breathed a sigh of relief, the glider nosedived, going almost straight down. People shrieked and screamed. Other people cried out. We watched in horror as the glider disappeared amongst the treetops below. In the distance a mile or so away, We saw the flashing lights of police cars and fire trucks flying down the road. People of the gliding community had already congregated by the bridge in anticipation of a potential crash. They had witnessed the glider vanish into the trees. Using walkie-talkies, those above at the viewpoint were able to engage with those below. We and all of the others that were on the viewpoint were unable to leave. The road had become congested as police arrived to interview those on the ramp. My wife and I also gave statements of seeing the pre-flight checks all the way to the crash itself. We had just about finished when we heard through one of the walkie-talkies that they found the glider. The man operating the glider was on the ground bleeding out and making gurgling sounds that you could hear through the walkie-talkie. The officer demanded that it be shut off which promptly happened. The operator of the glider was stretchered out of the forest and onto an ambulance that took him to a life-flight helicopter that was waiting in one of the nearby fields. We all watched in near silence as the helicopter took off towards Danville Hospital. We saw later on the news and when you searched on social media that the man had died on his way to the hospital. The events of Sunday, October 11th, 2015 started out normal for the day. My wife and I planned to go the scenic route to the Flaming Foliage Festival. We had enjoyed ourselves immensely until we watched as a man plummeted to his death from a mountaintop. The malfunction with his glider was never disclosed due to the damage dealt to the craft upon impact. We drove home the short way, in near silence, haunted by the sounds that we heard come through the walkie-talkie, and the view of him vanishing beneath the tops of the trees, the forest swallowing him and making it look as if nothing were out of the ordinary. I asked my wife later, years later, if she saw what I saw, the shadows seeming to be off, almost reaching and becoming Separate from the glider Grabbing and pulling at the man She states that She saw nothing Out of the ordinary